Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordic Podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordics to discuss industry passions, challenges and ideas. I'm Charlotte Roberts and I help businesses thrive by connecting with top data freelance talent. And today, I'm your host. Today, I'm joined by Daniel, Nicholas and Simon um, and we're going to be discussing data, AI and people leadership. Um, so before we go ahead and delve into this topic, it'd be nice for everyone to introduce themselves a little bit more. So if Nicholas, if you'd like to introduce yourself first, that'd be great. Sure, absolutely. Um, so my name is Nicholas Bacher, um, and I work at Klarna, um, where I lead engineering in the shopping experience domain. Um, and like a, a passion of mine is, is uh, basically life. So and, and with that. Think of life, I think of life and my, my family and, and my friends. Uh, but in, in work, it's uh, trying to kind of exist in the intersection between technology and leadership. So it's um, it's a balance to be stricken, but um, I like it. Nice. Oh, lovely. Thank you very much for that introduction. And if Daniel, if you'd like to introduce yourself, that'd be great. Sure. My name is Daniel Norbert. I'm the CEO and founder of uh, Playground TV. We are a streaming service for bilingual kids in Europe with over 200 shows in nine different languages. Uh, just earlier this year, we launched an AI application called Storyplay, which allows kids and parents to create fairy tales using AI. So then thinking about passion, uh, as a founder of a startup, it's I think the passion inside work and outside work is more or less the same to try to drive success. Um, I'm really passionate about how kids engage in entertainment in different ways, which is why AI has become increasingly important for us to see just that magical touch that AI gives and, and the surprise that you see on a kid's face. Nice. Love that. And that's exactly why we've invited you on this podcast today. Uh, so thank you very much, Daniel, for that introduction. And Simon, last but certainly not least, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Simon Henkel. I'm a director of automation and AI transformation at Ericsson. Um, when I'm not immersed in the world of AI and automation, you'll probably find on my mountain bike. Uh, it could be I could be navigating down some steep trail somewhere or powering up some climb I'm working on, but I'm fully absorbed in that moment. And I think it's all about just finding the right path, uh, avoiding slippery tree roots, or just, keep, or just simply keeping my head down, focusing on each pedal stroke. And I find that that is it's my own form of mindfulness and motion, let's say, and it's my perfect escape from everyday worries and tasks. So that's me. Nice. Thank you for that. Thank you very much, Simon, and everybody else for your introduction. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Before we actually jump into the questions on the podcast, it'd be nice to hear a little bit more about everybody's background within the field of data, AI, and people leadership. Um, so if, yeah, if Simon, if you'd like to start us off, that'd be great. 
So I guess I've been working in this area for like over a decade now, um, last five years or so with uh, Ericsson. And we've seen an increase in the area of data and analytics. I think through all that time, it's just accelerating all the time. So I've worked with um, some examples, ALA, ML algorithmic forecasting, for things like warehouse inventories, predicting sales volumes, um, looked at some data, data and analytics work recently, together with sourcing around uh, pricing and looking at uh, pricing in different um, contracts versus you know purchase orders, these kind of, this kind of information. At the moment, there's obviously a huge amount of interest around generative AI, and I'm looking at this together with many functions across Ericsson. Some examples would be sales and marketing, IT, uh, real estate, uh, amongst others there. And I, I'm, I'm working with teams uh, internationally across the globe. So at the moment, I work with my team. I have in India, China, the US, Sweden, and, uh, and other countries as well. So it's a brief intro. Hope that works. Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much, Simon, for that background on yourself. Um, Daniel, if you'd like to give a bit more of detail about your background within this topic. Yeah, so I've been fortunate enough to lead uh, several different high-performing uh, teams for companies like Sony, HTC, and Opera. I uh, I heard a saying one time of the dragon and the panda, where the dragon asked the panda, what do you like the most, uh, the journey or the destination? And the panda says, the company. And that kind of embodies me as a leader and, and the team around me is I just enjoy their company and wanting to spend a couple of years working together, achieving the goals that we want to. And I think the, the idea of a story play came out with this fantastic team where after Christmas, we sat down and thought about how does AI influence uh, kids engaging with content? And um, I think the story play came out on top of that where anything is possible. And, and I think that that was the beautiful thing. And then everybody scrambled together so we could quickly come out in the market and launch the application uh, more or less after five months. And within a couple of months, um, the application was rated um, twice by Apple on the category apps we love. So I think that that's a great testament to a fantastic job by an entrepreneurial team um, that I work with. Nice. Wow. Thank you very much for that. And Nicholas, tell us about yourself and your background. Uh, well, yeah, I've, I've been kind of working with leadership the, the, the last like 13 uh, uh, odd years. Um, and so I think like when, when I think about leadership and I'm thinking about like working with data and AI, uh, it comes quite natural that I kind of intertwine that with, with uh, my thinking on leadership. Uh, but my background with data is, is basically um, uh, being very early on um, uh, introduced to to a world where uh, there are massive amounts of data and there are cons the, like uh, privacy concerns, security concerns, and all of that. Um, and I've worked with that in um, where I actually met Daniel uh, once in 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 my history uh, at Opera Software, um, and I worked at uh, Spotify, where it's like it's so much the, about the flywheel of, of uh, engagement, feeding recommender systems that feed engagement, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, so data and, and AI and ML has been a, a big part of, of the journey for me. And now we're at Klarna, and a and, uh, big bet that we're making in Klarna is this using AI for a multitude of different um, areas. Um, that's 
that's where I find it very interesting and that's my background. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thank you very much for that. And I think it is definitely interesting and especially the world that we're living at the moment. AI is such a hot topic and it's on everybody's mind um, within business and within um, and moving forward as well. So interesting to see what's going to what's going to come really. Um, so we'll jump in straight to uh, to Simon's question now then. Um, so, Simon, you asked, how can we use advancements in AI and data to enhance human creativity and innovation? And how might this influence the way we lead and inspire others? Um, so, yeah, Simon, if you could give um, a little bit of background behind this question and then I'll let everybody jump in and discuss. Thanks very much, Charlotte. So, so I sort of, it was very nice to be invited to talk on this podcast. And I thought, you know, take the opportunity, try and look at some of the the, the bigger questions around this whole uh, AI issue. And you know, everybody knows that from November last year, we got chat GPT 3.5. And then in March this year, we got GPC 4. And it, this, there's this huge potential that how should, how could we best be using this and try and explore some perspectives with people from, from other backgrounds? You, know, you can look at some of the obvious ways here. I think, you know, we can, the classic thing around automation and digitalization that we can automate routine tasks. That would then give us more time, you know, to focus on these creative and innovative activities. Um, it can also, you know, alert us to new opportunities or options or scenarios that perhaps we wouldn't have thought of ourselves. Yeah, and and we know that in terms of leadership, it can give us this very deep and uh, detailed and personalized view of individuals. Yeah, a multifaceted view of them to help us better you know, target, uh, motivate, and help them, the individual, develop. Um, but sort of, so that's where we are now. But I'm, I'm trying to think further ahead because I think we know that we've just embarked on something enormous, yeah? And, you know, to quote probably incorrectly, uh, we're not even at the end of the beginning of this massive change that we feel, perhaps, that AI will bring, and it's going to be affecting most of the things in our lives. So, so, for example, and this is some information that uh, I was just looking at before before we joined the call, but in the next five years, so and this is talking to the, if you think about people who are running you know, Google or the large AI players, they're saying that within the next five years, we'll have models that are over a thousand times larger than those that are in GPT-4. So, so these models, um, they're not just going to be able to say things or, you know, spew out a text for you. They're going to be able to do things. Um, so they'll be able to plan over multiple time horizons. They'll be, they'll be, they'll be capable of performing a sequence of actions. Yeah. And they, they'll be able to communicate with humans or other AIs or APIs. And they're going to have predict the prediction is human level capabilities within three to five years. And they can make decisions independently and create new ideas independently. So how are we, where are we on that journey and what should we be doing now to, to, to make the maximum use of things today, but maybe preparing for that, whether it's exciting or scary, whatever, but, but that very, um, uh, what should we say, unknown future that, that I think we're moving towards. So that was a little bit, and it. Hopefully that made sense. I think it made a lot of sense, and and it's it's been uh, on top of at least my mind, and I, I believe uh, a lot of other people's minds for for a while. Thinking ahead of like where are we heading with this really really fast development, um, and I think uh, 
when I go back to the question, like how can we use the advancements to enhance human creativity and innovation? Um, I again go back to, to uh, the people leadership part. And I think it's, it's a lot about helping people get over uh, a fear of the unknown and get into a mindset of like, how can this take me to the next level? How can this allow me to not be uh, stuck in all of the things that I'm concerned with today and take that next step? And I think we, we're, we're seeing a lot of small steps in that direction, but I think we're also seeing a lot of um, absolutely understandable concerns being raised about like what will it be like and and what types of of uh, jobs will be uh, more or less automated or meaningless uh, for for humans to to carry out. But I think that that kind of what helps human creativity is that mindset thing to try and think of what what does this do to help me? Like where can I elevate my thinking to other new levels? It's really interesting. I think we we've looked at it from a kid's perspective, and and when we were thinking about story play, we wanted to see what are kids doing with AI. So started with a simple task of just giving my daughter to play around with Dali, and and how to educate her in the way of prompting. So first asking for a girl with glasses, and that was far off the way she looked, and then she said a brown hair girl with glasses. And she just started to develop and get more closer and closer to the way that she looked and understanding this is the way I prompt. Now, the thing with, with AI that we think is magical is that anything is possible. So when we gave this tool to kids to think, to think about how, how would they use it and, and just to sit back and look at it. And, and one of the first questions asked was a story where Robin Hood is a girl. And it was an interesting narrative that came out where it was in the same time and place, same figures, but completely different story. And Robin Hood was a woman. And, and it was just this magical thing that kids can do. And another one, which is actually our lawyer's son, he wanted to be the superhero and he wanted his mom to be the villain and for them to have a fight on the moon. But the interesting thing is just that magic coming together and, and help the kids to create the narrative. So what we are trying to do uh, is when we're talking about inspiring leaders, we're inspiring the next generation of leaders to understand how to play around and how to use and how to prompt the AIs and the results that they will get while changing the prompts in, in a minimal way that can give a, a, a completely different outtake. I think that's super interesting. I think that it kind of goes very well with, with you know, what, what are we interacting with? Like, how can we use this to create something new i think what what daniel and and, and his, his group of people are doing is really kind of taking people who would never interact with this type of technology into a space where it's oh yeah it's, it's kind of fun i can play with it i can start to understand it and if we can get people to actually understand the dynamics of it and and play with it to to understand okay so this is not something that it's capable of doing right now, or I have to interact with it in a different way, and I will create a different result and, and be kind of curious about that. I think that's a, a big part of, of uh, driving creativity and the curiosity of, hey, there's something new here. It's like I can, I can get something out of it, and if I change my interaction with it, it will give me a different result, and why is that? No, no, I, I think it's very... 
very relevant that we do give our, our youngest generation access to these tools, these capabilities as soon as possible so they can second nature to use them. And I think that uh, in terms of, you know, how is it going to help us be better, better leaders and stuff, I think making sure that all of our teams that we're with, our children, our friends, whoever, feel comfortable with this technology. I, I know some people who still find it very strange and a bit um, intimidating to have to work with this. And, and also there's a, I don't know, I'm always about fear of missing out, but I think given the, the industries we're in, or all of us, we probably have a fixed way of thinking and seeing things. So I'm trying to understand how could I get, if I was a sculptor, what, how would I use like generative AI? What kind of questions might I ask? How might I approach this problem? Yeah. So I guess all of this is available to us. If we can sort of like find a way of unlocking the, I use the wrong terminology, but like, the, the non-IT, the non-technical part of our brains to maybe approach things from a different perspective. That will also give us new new possibilities, new options to both, you know, work together with our teams, help them develop, and, you know, make them give them more time. No, it's got enough time. This is supposed to increase our productivity by you know, give me a number, 30, 40, 50% at least, right? How should people be benefiting from that? How can we help people realize that benefit and maybe make them less stressed, maybe make them more efficient? Really good point. So we we we've done some work with um, different team members to sit down and, and see how is AI relevant to their work. And I think one of the examples is with uh, our art director, who um, really got educated in how to prompt in different types of AI tools to accelerate what he's producing when it comes to designs. And what he's been able to deliver and the the amount of material that's coming out now is completely different before he knew how to prompt and how to use the different design tools, ranging from Photoshop's own AI plugin to um, the different DALI and, and generative tools that are out there. And I think that that's really interesting to just see that it's not something scary, but it actually helps you in your work, in your day-to-day -day life, if you know the relevance of how to use the AIs in what you're doing every day. Yeah, I think that that's the really, really the key of, of unlocking the, the creativity. It's like that mindset of like, this is not a scary thing. It's something that can help. And, and I just have to think differently about it to make it something that will help me. And I think it's, it's uh, similar for, for, um, uh, creative work, like, uh, an art director or or even an engineer, it's like, it's not a thing that will, uh, take over, take my job and, and do the coding for me. Instead, it's something that will help me so that I can focus on the bigger topics where I can maybe, uh, break down the problem in a different way. And I can solve problems in an entirely different way that I didn't even think about before. So it's, it's, um, it's an accelerator. It's something that will take you to the next level. And it won't just like take your job and 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 leave you uh, useless. No, no, I, I think that fear that's quite common with new technology that people are is it going to take my job? Whose job is it going to take, etc. And we talk about creating new new types of work, obviously. But I think at the moment, and maybe this will change. Maybe it will change quicker than we imagine. But I see it as something that will complement, as you were saying, Nicholas. So it will help us to be more efficient. I sometimes explain it, you know, that it's like like only a super BA, a super business analyst with you. They, they're just fix. They know pretty much everything. Ask questions. You need to look at the material, you know, review it, make sense of it, make sure, you know, we're not saying anything outrageous or 
uh, inappropriate or you know that's off off base as well. But I think that's the way to see it at the moment. So definitely. So. Nice. Well, we'll move on now uh, to our next question, uh, which was submitted by Daniel. Um, so how do you see AI influencing in education in the future? So if um, if Daniel, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this question, and then we'll let everybody discuss. Great. Thank you. So one of the projects that we are super um, enthusiastic about is Khan Migo in the United States. So the Khan Academy just launched this educational platform called Khan Amigo. And what it does is that it gives kids or students a virtual assistant, which is an AI that they can communicate with, helping them to solve math problems, other types of uh, um, educational problems, and then, um, and, and then helping the kids to accelerate what they're doing every single day. Because if you have one teacher in a class, she can't walk around with every single student to um, help them at the same time. But with Khan Migo, you have the possibility to help the kids solve the problem. And the way that it acts differently than other, other types of um, help tools is that if you have the wrong answer, you ask the students, how did you come up with that answer in order to understand how to guide it to come to the right direction? Um, in order to have security around Conmigo, they actually have another AI that just monitors the dialogue be between the student and Conmigo to understand that the dialogue is safe and if there is any warning signs. But I think it's an interesting perspective in the educational space um, to look in how AI would help uh, kids evolve and, and how students would evolve. So that's a little bit background of, of uh, my question. I mean, I, I think, I mean, it, it's very good you share interest. The Khan Academy has been around for some time, obviously, but now they're they're making this leap or this push into the, the, the AI assistant as well. I think it make, obviously makes perfect sense. The law that's related to this idea, you know, the, the one-to-many teacher-to-student relationship, whereas in using the AI agent, the Khan Migo, I think you said it was called, then you get, you get this element of personalization. So understanding... Um, data information from each individual and then getting to, to the bottom of their individual strengths and weaknesses and maybe you know then content and even delivery can be adapted to, to best suit them so, and so that's sort of at, at the level of interacting helping the student I guess at the same time that similar approach and understanding and interpretation of data will also help educators to be you know better able to target understand and interact and, and develop each student they'll, they'll have a sort of a, a back door to that one-to-one -one interaction they don't actually have time for so a very interesting opportunity yeah, i think that's a really interesting perspective and i think it's like we we struggle scaling um teachers and 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 our ability to to actually teach kids today and uh, if if we can solve at least part of that problem and and have teachers be able to to uh, guide with the help of ai then then i think we've gained a lot but i think uh, getting back to to the, the the core of the question like how how do you see ai influencing education um i i think it, it's like it's going to influence like we don't have a choice it's out there and uh, both students and teachers will use it i think the interesting part is like how how do we encourage usage so that it becomes something good instead of something that we fear in terms of like, oh, our 
uh, students cheating? Like, are they actually thinking for themselves or are they just using an artificial brain to do the work for them? And I think that this is a, another point where we need to, to try and elevate our thinking, because if students are actually able to think of ways to solve the problem in an easier way, that should be encouraged. We shouldn't uh, penalize students for, for using technology to, to solve problems. Like if, if it uh, prevents them from, from learning valuable lessons, sure. But we should be very, very careful, careful to not um, kind of restrict and, and, and uh, put too much bounds on how you can solve problems. Because I think this, the big step we need to, to make is figure out new ways to solve problems. Couldn't agree more. And, and I think in terms of education, it, it could, or we'll need to start thinking about it. What is the purpose of education? What, what is allowed? What's cheating? What's just like being sensible and making the best use of resources, right? So, you know, before calculators, we, we learned how to use log tables and things in school, right? But they would even dream of doing that now. It's not cheating to use a calculator for things, right? In the same way, you know, that there, there are new areas now that we look at generative AI again that previously we thought, oh, these are definitely the realm of humans, you know, sort of that creativity, empathy, all these kind of lighting, for example, or human traits. But, you know, AIs can do this now as well, right? So how, how do we sort of ring fence that, if you think of the concept of education, and it's okay to do these mundane pedestrian tasks, perhaps whatever we did would cite that, but, you know, the essence of, educating a human is is what and may, maybe that's the that's what we have to think about what what is the unique aspect that's left for humans to do exactly very well put um i think that the the whole thinking about education needs to get back to like what are we trying to learn and what are we trying to make sure that um most people understand uh, at least like in 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 most most countries the 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 foundation is laid in school in terms of like what what's the basis of knowledge that you will have you will need in life going forward and i think that's changing faster than we can change or or at least faster than we up until now have changed our education system mm -hmm. and there there's been a, a lot of talk and on different uh, podcasts on on the problem of like how we how we make uh, our students solve their problems on their own like here is a problem don't collaborate you have to solve it on your own so that so that we can understand that you have on your own understand understood how to solve that problem but more and more it's about collaboration and i think it's yeah. it's not like at this point it's not only collaboration with other humans it's collaboration with technology because technology is advancing so fast that it will become something that we are more or less collaborating with not just using as tools. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a combination of collaboration and perhaps, you know, critical thinking, being able to evaluate and understand what you're being taught. Does this make sense at some level, right? You know, and, and how is that going to be going to be used? And I guess, again, so at the broad, the top level of education, we spoke a lot already about how we can personalize and tailor to the individual. Um, I guess we could have the concept of some kind of curriculum that we're trying to teach all students. But with different levels of ability, there will also be an issue, I guess, of managing. So everybody's got personalized uh, approaches and personalized tutors, effectively. The ones who maybe take a bit longer and the ones who are very far advanced, how large do you allow that gap to become 
in and sort of once somebody's reached the, the curriculum level, do you stop them there? Is there a ceiling? Do you keep developing them? I'm sure there are lots of you know philosophical and maybe political questions that can arise from this kind of discussion as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think when it comes to personalization in in education, um, it's quite obvious. Like today, when you have a classroom full of students and you have a teacher, the teacher is only able to to kind of personalize to a, to a certain extent, and every student learns in a different way. Hmm. So if we can personalize the way you you uh, consume information, if we can use AI so that every student gets their needs served in, in terms of how they consume uh, information and how they learn, I think the like we we can we can probably scale teachers in a much better way. Like if teachers could really be uh, much more efficient if you can and just solve that particular problem. I think that's that's one of the ways where it's like we just have to elevate our thinking of, of how can we use AI as a tool. And it doesn't mean that we have to just put AI as the teacher and AI is the only thing that will teach uh, um, students and, and kids uh, things. It's more like how can we solve different problems in the way we uh, educate. Mm. No, for sure. And I think the, the ability with AI will help kids with learning disabilities and to give more attention and an adjusted education that fits their needs. So, so it's really a, a, a helpful tool for uh, the, the teachers and the students in the classroom. Yeah. And I think it's like we, we have to make sure that we understand the difference between an artificial intelligence and what that is good at and humans and what humans are good at. And one thing that is, is um, uh, very like top of mind for me is like you, an artificial intelligence is very good at processing massive amounts of data. And I think, uh, Simon, you, you uh, brought up uh, critical thinking that like we can use that to make sure that humans can apply critical thinking in a better way. So, I mean, um, being critical of sources, like you, we, we, uh, we have a problem today where we create echo chambers where like you know, people think the same thing they exist in in uh, bubbles on the internet and they just reinforce the the thinking in that group maybe ai is a way where we can much easier like ask that question like is is this the the ground truth is this the opinion of everybody etc i think it's is that that ability to process a lot of information that's out there and and provide a like a, a, a neutral and hopefully unbiased um, view of that in in an easier way. Obviously, we need to be uh, thinking critically about the the response that we get from AI to every question, but but it can help. And I'm sort of intrigued. So Daniel, I think quite naturally, and most people would, you 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 start by saying how AI can help the the people the children needing more help who are at the risk of being left behind. But I guess also there are the kids who are already very, you know, they're progressing just fine. How will it affect their development? And how will it, you know, make this, as I said, maybe you, you might see a, a greater spread in, in what people are learning, given, it, a, a given the educational environment, let's say a school at the moment. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Perhaps the goal is to get everybody to up to a certain minimal, minimum level. Is it to make sure, you know, we pull everybody up to that level? But if you have individual personalized tutors effectively with AI and they can, you know, work with each individual student, what's the goal then? 
Is it to maximize the potential of each of the individuals? And that could create even greater dichotomies and, and change, you know, differences across there. So I think there are lots of questions that can, if you do little thought experiments, there are lots of questions that can come up that maybe other people on us will need to have answers to. <laughs> For sure. No, it's really interesting. I think um, in my own very own personal opinion, uh, making sure that everybody gets the benefit. I don't think it, like AI as a technology should be used to um, equalize things or, or it's, it's like it's making sure that everybody has the, the ability to, to benefit from it. I think even like the, the A students who um, are A students because they have a certain um, capability for doing some things that other students might have a harder time doing will change. Uh, much similar to like when, when the pandemic hit, um, some uh, people working in offices who were not extroverts, who were suffering from the kind of the social interactions, all of a sudden they got uh, an edge because they were like, left alone in their own home, like just mm -hmm. focusing a hundred percent on their time, very rarely disturbed. And so the, the kind of the power balance shifted a bit. And I think that's uh, one thing that could be happening because the, the traits we use as a human today to be an A student might not be the same traits that are the ones that will make you an A student in the future. Mm -hmm. And when we think about that, I think it's like, I don't think we should be trying to predict like who needs what type of help and what should AI be used for. I think we need to make sure that the, the students are able to, to use it as a, um, something that they would benefit from. I think it looks back nicely, I guess, to where you started, Daniel, with, you know, you're teaching the, the young children how to start interacting, create prompts, you know, working with this, this new tool that's got a huge amount of power, get, getting used to it. And that, if I think about, for me now, what we hear in, in the workplace is, you know, people are worried about, will AI take my job? And I think the answer is, is no. But if I don't learn AI, will my job be taken by somebody who does know AI? That is much more likely, I think. So, so And that's what you are trying to build uh, up for, I think, which is great, Daniel. Yeah, no, and uh, uh, that question, by the way, I just need to comment because I think in general, like, will AI take my job? Well, when internet came, we kind of had a similar revolution, right? If you don't get behind the wheel and learn the effects of internet, then then these type of jobs will be uh, managed by people who do. And and I think that the interesting aspect is to, to think about how does this add relevance to my day-to-day -day job? And it's not super technically heavy to learn and to play around with these AI tools. It's, it's actually fairly simple you don't have to have an engineering background so i think people should not be so scared and just play around with them to start with to understand themselves what relevance they have in their day-to-day -day jobs and and i think the the scare, being scared itself has created a problem and, and with kids they're curious and i think that that adds the advantage that they have and they are not biased by having a career or a role already so they just want to play around and see what it does. And I think that that's my encouragement to anybody who's scared is just play around with one of the tools and see what you get and, and do the most simplest thing of asking, what should I eat for dinner tonight or, or something else. Right. And, and, um, and, and then, and then let your kids play around with it too. And then you'll see what comes out. It, 
Nice. Perfect. I love that discussion. Very interesting points from everyone there. Um, we'll move uh, now on to Nicholas's question. Um, so, Nicholas, uh, your question is, what are you doing to find new ways to resolve problems? Um, so, if you'd like to give a bit of background behind this question, and then I'll let everybody discuss. Absolutely. Uh, and I think it's it's actually a quite uh, a good segue from, from our uh, recent conversation here, because... Uh, the background of it is that uh, like um, it is a revolution. And I think it's not only a revolution in terms of technology, it's a revolution in terms of availability. And when we were talking about like, um, uh, is it taking my job? Uh, maybe not, but is my job going to be taken by someone who knows and can navigate this technology much more likely? And um, I, I actually listened to, to a talk of, of um, a great colleague of mine in a conference for, for client employees um, just last week. Um, and he told the story about his mother who created uh, a newspaper, newspaper that was uh, one of the most popular in that country. And eventually it went out of business because they did not jump on the internet train. They did not interact with that. I think we are right now in a very similar situation. The internet came as a revolution uh, because it changed the way we do things. I think AI is doing exactly the same. And when you look at the internet and what it did, uh, it, it it wasn't great at the beginning. What we're doing today with um, interconnected devices, with 5G, like it's so it's light years from what happened when when internet kind of came around and i think to to simon's point like in in a number of years adi is going to be very very different but we have to start interacting with it now we have to try and understand how can we apply it to solve our problems in a different way than we did before and if we resist if we just uh think it's oh it's uh it's a fad it's not gonna uh, uh, help me it's just a, a distraction uh we're likely going to lose out over time so um i think um the question comes from from my um, core belief that we have to start interacting and engaging with i think i think Problem solving uh, in the world of AI is a never-ending journey. As as for handling failure, it's an inherent part of innovation. In in the AI world, failure isn't a dead end; it's a data point. Every time an algorithm doesn't work as expected or a feature fails flat, we learn something valuable. Failures inform us what doesn't work, and which is is just a crucial knowing of what does. So I think when it comes to AI, the key is to fail fast and uh, adopt. Um, and I think that for us in just in general, like failing has been a part of the process. Um, and we kind of encourage the culture of risk-taking and innovation, which is essential for staying ahead in this uh, kind of rapid evolving field of AI. Yeah, I definitely agree, and and I think it's um, when when it comes to to engaging with AI and and uh, failing fast, I think that's uh, we're going to fail many times, and we're going to try things that are not going to work. Um, most likely, like with the uh, evolution of the technology, it might work to try the same thing again, but later on, once it has evolved a bit. Um, but at the same time, we can't really wait for that. I think we need to be able to think about the well, 
we applied AI to a problem, but it didn't work, it might mean that we just applied it in the wrong way. And maybe we need to adjust how we approach that problem and how we break that problem down and to what parts we apply AI. I think we have to be persistent with with problems. And then to the point there about, you know, maybe just being a data point, we have to think about it, okay, we didn't solve it yet. We haven't given up to give up, right? We're still, we're still on that journey. So that, that's always there. In terms of new ways of resolving problems, which was sort of your, your initial question, because I think being here today, this has proved that we're constantly looking for new ways to resolve problems, right? This is this is the latest in a long line. There will be new ways coming, which you were we probably can't even imagine. Yes, we hear a lot about you know, quantum computing, different ways to look at security is, is a huge area. Right? They become more and more important as the volumes of data just avalanche and become enormous, impossible for us to even imagine or visualize or contemplate. I think that's another area that we'll see maybe a lot of new technology and opportunity is is matching, not least with now we're seeing generative AI and uh, security and access controls to things. I think that will be another huge area for us. So no, And I think we're constantly finding new ways to resolve problems, I would say. Sort of a part of human nature. And, and the interesting thing is to use AI in the problem solving as well. So we had one thing that we worked with, which was the story quality and, and trying to get a good level of the stories. So, and, and then we needed to feed the AI with a couple of children's books. So we found these kind of Brother Green stories, which doesn't have any copyrights to it. So we could insert them into the AI. The, the problem was the language which was used in these books was extremely old and sometimes not suited for a child. So we had about 800 children's books, but then we used an AI to rewrite the stories as they were written in the 21st century. And then we took those that rewritten 800 stories and then fed them into the AI to give them a, a kind of a bump in the story quality. So it was interesting in, this, in the matter of using AI as a part of, the, of how to solve the problem. I think that's a really good example of one of the use cases that we do see for AI, which is, you know, creating training data. Mm. So effectively, you know, I had create data that was of the wrong nature or, you know, type. So I could use AI to put that into the correct form that I need to train another AI. So yeah. it's a bit, these circular loops, fantastic. A, a really, a really salient, easy to understand example as well, like of how to create training data with AI. I think that was really good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that that's the way to think about it. And, and uh, what I'm kind of after in this question is like when when we apply AI to solve a problem um, uh, and, and it doesn't work, the worst thing you can do is to, to kind of classify that as like, okay, so AI doesn't solve this problem. Let's solve it in a different way. I think it's it's about thinking in new paths, like trying to unlock new new pathways in your brain to understand how to... to um, break down that problem and maybe uh, help the AI solve different parts of it. And then you can kind of work from there, much like you did in, in uh, uh, with Storyplay and, and kind of, well, we have this problem and maybe we can feed this into the AI. Also going back to, to the learning platform and kind of having an AI um, monitor the conversation between a, a, ch ch a child and, and another AI to understand like, what is this? How does this um, evolve and, and is this a, a, an appropriate conversation 
And do we can we find some triggers? Because you wouldn't be able to scale humans to to understand that for so many conversations. I'm, I'm curious. I, mean, I think we've had a, a lot of folks, which is great, on sort of the, the, the opportunities for AI and we use it in different areas. Uh, we've hinted or touched a little bit on some of the security elements and, and checks and balances. You mentioned some of those well, Daniel, with like the Khan Academy are doing certain things. But the sort of data that we feel comfortable sharing and using, how do you guys feel about it? There is, almost, there is a, a cadre, a group in, in society that's sort of giving us these doomsday scenarios, et cetera, as well. Do you guys have any thoughts about you know, how, what's the balance between you know, accelerating, doing everything we can as quickly as we can, finding new ways to use this, towards maybe you know, touching the brake a little bit? Is there a need for regulation? Should we be cautious? Or is it just like, just keep going? You know what? Any thoughts? I'm just a bit. So curious. that's a really, really good question, Simon. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm, I'm very biased in the kids space, but just in general, kids online are regulated by the US in the uh, Coupa, which is Children Online Privacy and Protection Act. And in Europe, GDPR, the uh, eight paragraph. So it's very sensitive. We are more or less tripping on minefields on the kind of data that we collect um, from our streaming service, but also from our AI application. So we are staying away from collecting any data when it comes to kids for the time being and being very sensitive with what type of data we do get. But the interesting part is, is that kids can influence how the narratives are created when it comes to the content that they want. So um, one of the things that my daughter did was to try to create stories where the superhero was a girl who had glasses. And she didn't want it to be um, the smart girl. She wanted it to be the superhero had glasses. And for her, she's always been looking at the different types of, of uh, uh, cartoons and, and movies to, to wanting to see the, a girl with glasses. But she can then create the narrative there. And if you can collect that data of understanding what kids actually want to see and want to hear. That's really interesting if you can do it in an anonymized way. But in the kids space, it's definitely a minefield and there are rules and regulations which are um, which highly pro prohibit what you can and, and cannot do. <laughs> and how does it go with Klarna in, in the banking space? That must also be very sensitive, uh, Nicholas. Uh, absolutely, um, and I mean it's uh, it's uh, highly regulated, of course. So, um, like we, and anonymized data uh, used for understanding trends uh, is fine, but um, any data that is uh, personally identifiable is heavily regulated, and, and something that we focus a lot on on uh, maintaining the integrity. So. Um, uh, Right now, we're not at the point where we're trying to do anything with that type of data. It's like we're applying AI to um, build internal tools for information and, uh, and like you know, in, in the building of our, our systems. Uh, it has very little to do with um, like you know, personalized data for, for customers at, at this point. Um, obviously, there's uh, like we have recommender systems uh, that power our kind of shopping experience, um, but that's based on on uh, like uh, what's popular and demographics, etc. Okay. And as you use more and more AI, Nicholas, I guess in um, so for example, in in 
credit scoring, credit worthiness. I guess you need to look very, very carefully so you're not building any bias into your algorithms. Uh, Daniel gave an example there of bias in children's story data is superheroes don't have glasses, right? That And probably, you know, that's an obvious bias that we either we could work against. Many others, I'm sure, yeah. But uh, it get, becomes a bit more, um, what should we say, flammable when it comes to things like the banking industry. If it's, how, how are you, well, I guess you could share, you know, how are you monitoring for maybe things you don't suspect are causing bias? Obviously, there's some obvious ones, but how are you constantly saying, you know, are we seeing bias creeping in or how do I check for that? How am I validating and how do I correct for it? Do you have any of those kind of discussions as well? Uh, we have them. Like, unfortunately, I, I can't really discuss like exactly how we do credit scoring. Um, but but your question in general is very interesting, and I think it's one of the biggest challenges we have with AI, because we want it to understand the world as it is, and and to kind of uh, be able to to reason about it and, and represent it. Mm. But we what we also want it to be able to do is to understand what we want the world to be, because right. the world as it, it is as it is today is biased, and yeah. if we provide it biased data, it will enforce that bias. Uh, like to the point that Dana made about the the um, superhero with, with glasses, because it's not very common, yeah. um, and and it's the same thing with with everything. Like uh, uh, who like if you if you'd ask uh, an AI who has a good credit score uh, based on who has a really um, like the highest income um, in the world, it will be biased. Uh, so we shouldn't be trusting that. We should use different data points. We should try to understand an, an unbiased uh, potential dis decision. Yeah. But it's going to be difficult. So I don't think like it's we're not anywhere close to a point where we like leave uh, any decision that is, impacts a, a person's ability to to use funds or have credit on AI alone. And I think a lot of it will probably be making us aware of where we have an unconscious tacit bias that is just, it's always been like that. You know? I was reminded of it uh, recently, actually, we were working together with um, a form of intelligent agent for the for the um, marketing and communications team here. And it was, you know, it didn't have a name or anything. So talking to some people and, you know, any ideas for what you might want to call it? I actually asked ChatGPT for some suggestion. It gave a suggestion. And this was actually uh, taken by by the marketing guy in this in this uh, instance. And I actually thought it was a little bit of a wake. It's quite interesting to see because if you think about an intelligent agent, you know, at a, the, the, from the chatbot to the more advanced now, I'm guessing if it was going to have a persona and if it was going to speak to you, it would probably have more female than male characteristics. Is this what we'd Siri think of that, right? You know, think of the ones you, you know, all these kind of things. Yeah. But fortunately, this one, it was called Mark. So we definitely a male. So oh, that was interesting that we actually got the, not, not a female name for the, for the, for the, the intelligent assistant. I think it was a, a male name. So maybe there's something going on in the background that we haven't spotted yet. Maybe. Yes. Oh, nice. Well, um, I'll just ask one last quick question um, now, because we touched on a little bit of about how you've handled failure. Um, but it'd be interesting to find out a little bit more about what are the uh, what are some of the common challenges in your organisation, um, or that your organisation has faced when implementing AI, and how have how have you overcome them? 
I, I can start, yes. I, I think we touched on, on a couple of them already. I think, you know, data privacy and security is always something that we have to be very, very aware of. Um, and we're constantly looking there from the bank to personally identifiable identificate like per- personally identifiable information that obviously we have to be very careful with. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, that it's been both we're collecting it, stored, processed, all these kind of things. We're very conscious of that. Um, and also, what I mentioned there about, I think, bias is something that we're also constantly, well, I think, you know, we're moving quickly, so maybe it's not always at the top of our mind, but things coming more and more there that we need to think about when we're training these models, going into new areas, new areas of application. How are we trying to do our best to avoid bias as much as possible. And then we need to monitor it and have processes in place to be able to correct it if, if we do find it. So I would say those are two areas from, from where I'm standing. And, and from our perspective, uh, one thing that we realized pretty quickly was that we didn't want the child to use the AI themselves. So in our communication, we've always said that use it uh, together with your parent. Um, it is not consistent to 100%. It sometimes does unpredictable things. And it's important that you have a parent in the driving seat and not leave the child alone with it. So I think that that was one of the challenges that we saw in the beginning, uh, even though we trained it to behave in a certain uh, in a certain way, then, then that wasn't 100% consistent, even if, if it had a high consistency rate. So I think that that was probably the biggest challenge we had in, in the sense of how we solved it. Yeah, I think in, in our case, it's um, um, uh, divided into the data privacy and, and uh, like the, the need for uh, not just feeding uh, internal information to an external system, uh, but also kind of how, how we apply AI to um, uh, the right types of, of data set. And um, when we make a decision on whether we should run an internal model or if we should use some some external tool, um, I think that's uh, uh, of, of highest concern when we consider like how should we address the problem. Yeah. I, I think definitely integration with existing systems is something that is a headache for a lot of us. A, a lot of the time we need, um, for looking particularly at what any AI is finding the data, um, having significant volumes or s- sufficient volumes, the quality of it, if we need to clean it, uh, that, that's always a that's always an issue, I think. So the integration with systems and, and the data quality, I would say. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's a little bit now, but might become more acute, will be a lack of skilled resources as well. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's not always easy to get like the really, really skilled operators in, in this area i have to admit interesting nice well thank you very much everybody for um for that discussion uh, i thought it was a really good discussion before we end the podcast i'd like to say thank you so much to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation if you are hiring for a new technical role or looking for new roles feel free to get in touch with us here at evolution or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast you can drop me a message too. I'm Charlotte Roberts and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at charlotte.roberts at evolution-nordics.com or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash se. Thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.